All right. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, we are continuing in our series over the parables of Jesus, the parables of Jesus. We've made our way to Matthew chapter 20 this morning. Matthew chapter 20 is where we're at. And we're looking at the laborers in the vineyard. The laborers in the vineyard. Um, maybe if you've been in Sunday school class uh, throughout your life, you may have heard this parable once before, or uh, maybe you haven't. Maybe it's new to you this morning. Either way, we are going to look at this parable. We're going to dive in, and we're going to see what does it teach us about the kingdom of heaven. If you remember, as we've been walking through these different parables, they are designed to teach us. They're designed to teach us specifically about the kingdom of heaven, what, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so that's what we're seeing again here today. And Jesus continues just to build this, this picture, if you will, of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so the parables of Jesus, laborers in the vineyard, Matthew 12, 1-16 is going to be our main text. We will look at some of the text around that as well, because context is important, particularly when we're looking at these parables. So let me go to the Lord in prayer. And then we will dive into today's message. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your church to, to open your word, God. To freely be able to do that. We're thankful for the opportunity. And God, as we do this morning, be with us. As we walk through this text, Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Teach us where we need teaching, Lord. Help us to come away from this message this morning uh, a different person, someone who is more like Jesus. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in every job that I have ever had, and I'm sure that in every job that you have ever had, you were paid for the work that you did. And over time, as, as you became more skilled, maybe as you get, get, got more certifications or maybe you uh, got a degree, your pay most likely increased. For some positions, there's a ceiling as to how much you can earn, but with most all positions, with the most all careers, there is a way for you to earn more money. The society we live in is set up that way. With a, we are a capitalistic society. The more you work, the more skills you have, the more potential you have to earn a greater income. And because we live in a society where more work and more skills generally equals more pay, we are motivated to work more. We are motivated to, to learn more. And that is a good thing for societal production. That, that is why our country, that is why other capitalistic countries produce a lot of goods. That is why we see a lot of advancement, especially in the tech sector. But for all its good, there's a downside to a capitalistic society. In other words, more work equaling more pay is not always a good thing. Those who are out there just chasing the mighty dollar, who have made riches and possessions and idle for themselves, they're enabled to work to the neglect of their health, to the neglect of their family, to the neglect of, of their church involvement, or even to the neglect of their morals. The advantage we have in the U.S. is a great advantage, but we have to make sure that we strike a good work-life balance. We have to keep our work in perspective, continuing to, to reflect on whether it is becoming idle to us or not. 
as well as we have to be careful in, in how we in, import and we compare the, the world in which we live in to the kingdom of God. Where the idea for us is more work equals more pay. We have to be careful in how we compare that and apply that to the kingdom of God. While we live in a capitalistic society, and I'm sure that we could not imagine living any other way, God's economy is different. God's kingdom is not built on works and rewards in the same way that our society is. Instead, God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom built on His grace. And in order for us to understand the grace-based nature of God's kingdom, we need to, to see how God turns the ways of the world on its head. And so compared to worldly kingdoms, God's kingdom turns the values, the actions, and rewards of the world upside down. In Jesus' kingdom, the poor, the sorrowful, the persecuted are above the rich. They are recognized and satisfied. The first shall be last. Jesus says that in Matthew 19.30 there. And that idea of the first shall be last, it really runs through this section. It runs through the, the laborers in the vineyard, the parable that we're going to look at this morning. But to understand Jesus' last statement there, the, the first shall be last, or the last shall be first, then we need to really look at the context. And just so you know, the context is always key. When we're reading God's Word, we have to really be careful not to just cherry-pick a few verses here and there, or, or even just cherry-pick a, a paragraph out of Scripture. We must always read Scripture in its context. The immediate surrounding context of that particular verse, or that particular story or paragraph, and, and also the context of the book, and then, then the context of the whole Bible. So, we, so context is key. We cannot read the verse in isolation just as a, a grab bag of verses that, that we think are inspirational to us. Context is key. And so what does the context reveal about the meaning of the, the first will be last? Well, when we look at the context, what we see is that Jesus had just had an encounter with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus in, in Matthew 19, verse 16, and, and he asks him, Jesus, what good deed must I do in order to inherit eternal life? In the course of conversation, Jesus says, well, you need to keep the commandments. And this guy thinking that, man, I've kept all of these commandments, he said, well, well which commandment do I need to keep? Apparently, this guy is a moral do-gooder because he, he felt like he had kept all of the, the commandments. The Ten Commandments is what I'm talking about here. All the commandments that Jesus listed for him. He hadn't murdered anyone. He hasn't committed adultery. He hasn't stolen. He hasn't bore false witness. He, he has, he's honored his mother and his, his father, and, and he's loved his neighbor as himself. And, and so he checks off most of these Ten Commandments. And, and when he asks Jesus, well, well, Jesus, what is it that I still lack? If you know anything about the story of the rich young ruler, Jesus challenges him. He says, go and sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor. Now, when Jesus says this, he's not giving this man another work to do or anything like that that is going to gain him entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not saying that we cannot have riches or possessions and the only way to live as a Christian is to live as somebody who is poor. No. What Jesus is doing is he is looking into this man's soul. He is looking into this man's heart because Jesus has the ability to do that. 
And he sees that this man's idol is his riches. And he says, if you want to follow me, you want to be a true disciple, well, you've got to stop breaking the first two commandments. Right? You're putting idols before the Lord. And in order for you to do that, then you need to sell all of your possessions and you need to give that away to the poor. And so he challenges this man, put away your idols. But this man could not do that. We're told in verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, today's passage is not about the rich young ruler. I'd love to dive in more into that, but, but today's passage is not about the rich young ruler. Today's passage is about the labors of the vineyard. But, but in order to understand where we're going with the labors in the vineyard, remember context is key. We need to look at the rich young ruler there. So because it's not our main text, we're going to fast forward a little bit. And as we fast forward a little bit in the narrative, what we do is we learn that Peter and the other disciples, they had a front row seat to that particular conversation. And Peter, he, he realizes, man, I have given up a lot for the Lord. He gave up his fishing business to follow Jesus. And realizing what he and his brother Andrew gave up, realizing what all of the other disciples gave up, Peter, he comes to Jesus and he wonders, well, what is it that I am going to receive? Look at verse 27 of Matthew 19. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus' answer is encouraging, beginning in verse 28 Jesus, of Matthew 19. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, now not in this world, but, but in the world to come, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. It's here that Jesus turns the values of the world upside down. You would think the most powerful, you would think the most well-connected, the hardest workers, the most wealthy, those are the ones who would gain the most. But that is not so in Jesus' kingdom. Those whom the world despises, the last, well, they are made first. And to drive this upside-down nature of the kingdom home, Jesus tells His disciples the parable, the parable that we are going to look at today. Jesus begins the parable by comparing what the kingdom of heaven is like and he compares the kingdom of heaven to a master who owns a vineyard and he goes out into the marketplace to hire some workers for the day look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 20 for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard after agreeing with the laborers for denarius a day he sent them into the vineyard and so this master, he goes into the marketplace. He, he needs some laborers to perform some work in his vineyard. He hires some people. These men were probably former slaves. Maybe they had just got finished working off of a debt. They were trying to survive until then maybe they could find some, some better employment. And, and as you can imagine, this is not the best position to be in, but, but they're out there. They're, they're trying to, to make a living and, and buy some food for their family. These men, they were no stranger to hard work. I mean, these guys would generally labor like 12 hours a day. And whatever it is that you needed that person to do, these people 
would do it. They would do everything from picking grapes off of the vine to you know, guarding the crops to driving out donkeys and a host of no- other things. Whatever somebody needed them to do, they would, they would do that. And the master needs them to do some work in his vineyard. And so he goes to the marketplace, he hires a few laborers for the day, and after choosing these laborers, he negotiates a wage with them. And this is important. He negotiates a wage, and the wage that he negotiates is a denarius a day. And this was typically the, the, the day's wage that somebody would get. They would get a denarii for that particular day. And this tells us right off of the bat that this laborer, I mean, that this master is a fair man. He's not trying to pull one over on anyone. He's not trying to get a deal. This is, this is the daily wage for somebody. And he says, I will pay you the going rate to work in my vineyard for that day. They agree to that. And they say, okay, great. We will go. We will work for a denarius a day today. And so these men, they, they set to work. Now fast forward a few hours, now it's 9 a.m., the master returns to the marketplace, and when he does, he sees a few other men, few other men standing around waiting to be hired, and so the master approaches these men in verse 40, he says, you go into the vineyard too, whatever is right, I will give you. And so these men, they, they also went to work. Notice they didn't necessarily agree on a Daenerys today, he just says, whatever's right, I will give you. As we continue through the parable, we learn the master went into the marketplace at the sixth hour. He went into the marketplace at the, the ninth hour. This would be noon and then 3 p.m. And when he did, he, he hired some more workers to go and work in the vineyard. Now, so far on the parable, the master, he's, he's gone into the marketplace at six o'clock. He's gone at nine o'clock. He's gone at noon. He's gone at 3 p.m. He's hired people at every step of the way, and he sent them into his vineyard to work for the day. Now, he goes one last time into the marketplace at the 11th hour. This is 5 p.m. It's one hour before quitting time. He found some other people standing around. He, he approaches them at the end of verse 6. Why do you stand here idle all day? He asks them. And they answered and said to him, well, because no one has hired us. And what does he do? Well, he, he hires these men. He sends them into the vineyard to work. Now, there's just one more hour of the day left to work. But these men, they go anyway. So fast forward a bit more in time, and it's now an hour later. It's, it's quitting time at 6 o'clock. It's also pay time. As people worked, they would get paid for that particular day from the person that they worked from. And so based on our experience, we would assume that, that the workers who went out first, they would get the Daenerys, and then the other people who went out in the, the other parts of the day, they would get a percentage of a Daenerys. But what did the master do? Look at verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. So not, not what we're expecting, right? The last group they get paid first, and the last group they get paid a denarius. This is exactly what he agreed with the first group, the group that's been out there since 6 a.m., that's been out there for 12 hours laboring. This is what he agreed to pay that group. And here it is, these guys, they've been hanging out in the marketplace all day, just shooting the breeze with one another. Maybe, maybe they've been hiding back, so they're not getting work. And this guy comes up and he hires them for one hour. By the time they get out there, they probably only worked like 45 minutes. And they get an entire day's wage. And so now we're thinking, well, what about the other guys? I mean, 
maybe they're going to get more. Maybe the, the guys who went out first at 6 a.m., maybe they're going to get 12 denarius for their work. Let's look and see verse 10. Now when those hired first came, they thought they were received more. But each of them also received a denarius. This didn't seem fair to the first group, so they grumbled, they, they complained uh, that they were made equal to the last group that only worked for one hour. Now the master, he addresses them in verse 13. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And so the master, he, he reprimands this guy. The payment was fair. It was his money. He could do what he wants with his money. He was generous. Why should they complain to him? Now that's an interesting parable, but what does Jesus mean by it? What does this parable reveal about the upside-down nature of the kingdom of heaven? Well, as Jesus has done in so many of his parables, Jesus provides a, a summary statement at the end of this parable. In verse 16, he says, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And there's that phrase again, that phrase that we saw earlier. Jesus has said it right before launching into the parable. And here at the end of the parable, Jesus says this phrase again. And so what does Jesus mean by this phrase? Earlier we said that it reveals that Jesus' kingdom operates different than the world. It turns the ways of the world upside down. That's because Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. But, but in what way is Jesus' kingdom an upside-down kingdom? Whereas our world operates according to a merit-based rewards, Jesus' kingdom operates according to grace-based rewards. In other words, Jesus doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, He gives us what we don't deserve. The workers who went into the field last, they did not deserve a day's wage, nor did any of the other people who worked for the entire day. Did they receive a, a day's wage? No, the ones who went in at 9 a.m. And, and noon and 3 p.m., they didn't deserve a Daenerys. But they got that anyways. They received a day's wage because the master was not only generous, but the master was gracious. He gave them a gift that they did not deserve. They didn't, they didn't work near as hard as the first group. They didn't produce near as much as the first group. But it didn't matter to the master. It was the master's money to give away. And he decided to give to all of the workers an equal amount of pay for the day. Whether they worked for 12 hours or whether they worked for one hour. Jesus is teaching us that his kingdom operates in the same way. It doesn't matter what you do for the kingdom. You all receive the same grace. We all need the same grace. No one is better than another person. No one needs a little bit less grace than another person because they've done more work for the kingdom. No one needs a little bit less grace than another person because, they haven't, because they've worked longer for the kingdom. We all need the same grace and we all receive the same grace. The reward Peter and his disciples were promised by Jesus at the end of, of chapter 19 is the same reward that all of those in Jesus' kingdom receive. It doesn't matter if you're an apostle who has planted churches or you're martyred for the gospel or you make a deathbed confession or you're hanging on the cross next to Jesus and you get saved right there before Jesus dies for the sins of the world. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you have done for the kingdom. Everyone in Jesus' kingdom receives the same thing. We will all receive grace. 
And the grace that we receive is extravagant. We, all re- we are all adopted into a family. We all receive a hundredfold. We all receive eternal life. And that's because it's not what you do that matters. Instead, it's what Jesus does on your behalf that matters. In verses 17 through 19, Jesus predicts his death for the third time to his disciples. If we jump down to verse 18, we read this. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. And in the course of time, Jesus' prediction here, this, this third prediction that he makes to the disciples, it comes true. Jesus went to the cross. He bore the sins of mankind to propitiate or satisfy the wrath of God. He he died on our behalf. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid those wages for us. He paid the debt that we could never, ever pay. But He defeated death. He, He resurrected on the third day, showing that His sacrifice was sufficient. And because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, ultimately winning eternal life for us, He is the one who is able to decide what to do with the gift of eternal life. Jesus has decided to freely give to all of those who are His. He doesn't give based on merit. Jesus gives based solely on His grace. And that's because Jesus' kingdom is a grace-based kingdom, not a merit-based kingdom. I know that is upside down, right? We, we live in a merit-based society. What you do often results in what you get. How much work you put in results in how much pay you receive and, and all of the different things that go along with that. But what seems wrong to the world is not wrong in God's kingdom. What the world values, God doesn't value. What the world counts as great, God does not count as great. What matters for success and gain in this world does not matter for success and gain in God's kingdom. When we think about it like that, it might not seem fair to us, especially since we've grown up in a society where it is a merit-based rewards society. You put in what you get out. Or you get out what you put in. We think... If I do more work for the kingdom, well, then I should receive a greater reward for the kingdom. If I have given more, then I should get more. If I've been around longer, then I should get more. If I've been a Christian longer, then I should get more. If I've been a member of a church longer, I should get more say in that particular church. But the kingdom doesn't work that way. Jesus' kingdom does not work that way. Instead of worrying about how much we will receive and and running a cost-benefit analysis every time that we do something for the kingdom, we should praise and thank God that we have access to and are able to work for the kingdom. You see, we we should be in awe of God's grace, of Jesus' grace that He freely pours out on us. We should be thankful like the last group in our parable certainly was. The parable doesn't mention it, but I would imagine that those folks walked away jumping for joy. They had just worked like one hour, and they got an entire day's wage. Talk about grace. That's us. We get what we don't deserve from God. In Jesus, in the Gospel, we receive more than we we could ever deserve. We deserve death. We deserve punishment. We deserve a life of misery where the worm does not die. 
But we don't get those things. We get the kingdom. We get Jesus. We get eternal life. We get an adopted family and abundant life with God as our Father for all of eternity in a perfect world accomplishing the purpose for which God has created us. And that purpose is for us to glorify God. That is what we get. And we should be thankful that we are a part of Jesus' kingdom. We should be thankful that Jesus' kingdom is not a merit-based kingdom because none of us, even on our best day, none of us would ever gain entrance into that kingdom. We could never do enough to satisfy the wrath of God against us. We could never do enough. But Jesus does it for us. And so we should be thankful that the kingdom is an upside-down kingdom that operates drastically different than our world because none of us would be able to enjoy the kingdom. The upside-down nature of the kingdom should cause us to praise and glorify God instead of complain and murmur for what we don't have, for what recognition we have not received, for what the church hasn't done for us despite the work that we have done for her. Our work for the kingdom is a privilege it is a grace our work for the kingdom should be enough to satisfy us and so don't be like those people in the parable the first group don't don't be like those who who walk away grumbling and complaining jesus says that group is the group who is last they are those who are outside of the kingdom because they don't recognize that the kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. They they don't recognize the grace-based aspect of the kingdom. They are those who are still trying to gain entrance into the kingdom through a merit-based way, through their own work. But Jesus says that will not work. Those who are working hard in society, those who are working hard in this world to be first, those folks are actually last. It's not about what you do. It's not about who you are. It's not about the status that you have or the position that you have. It's not about any of that stuff when it comes to God's kingdom. The first end up being last. And the last, the the low and despised of society, even those who maybe haven't done as much for the kingdom, they end up being first. The last are those who are outsiders. The first are those who are insiders. But those who don't recognize the grace-based aspect of the kingdom, they are last. They don't find entrance into the kingdom. They don't gain the kingdom. Those who try to work for the kingdom, they don't gain the kingdom. But those who recognize that the kingdom is based on God's grace, those who are willing to say, it's not about me. It's not about anything that I could ever do. I am a sinner who needs Christ's sacrifice for me. That's who I am. Those who are willing to humble themselves and say it's all about Jesus and it's all about what He has done for me. Those are the ones who gain entrance into the kingdom. Those are the ones who believe that Jesus' work on their behalf is what has accomplished their salvation and it is Jesus alone. It's not me. Those are the ones who are first. Those are the ones who gain entrance into the kingdom. First in the sense that the last will become first. Those are the ones who are insiders. Those are the ones who who praise and, and glorify God for the grace that He has poured out in their life. 
Those are the ones. Who love the Lord. Because He has adopted them into His family. Because He has given them eternal life. And they are thankful for that. And so do you recognize the grace-based nature of the kingdom? Do you recognize it's not about your work? Do you recognize that this is an upside-down kingdom? Does that cause you to murmur and complain because you're not getting what you think that you are owed? Or does the upside-down nature of the kingdom cause you to praise and glorify God because you are getting exactly what you do not deserve. You are gaining adoption into a heavenly, eternal family where you will receive eternal rewards that are a hundredfold. Where are you at this morning? Are you among the first? Are you an outsider who is of the world who is still trying to work their way into the kingdom? Or are you among the last who have humbled yourselves and realized it's not about me, but it's all about God's grace? The first will be last, and the last will be first. And this morning, you can respond by asking yourself, where am I at? What do I believe about the kingdom? Do I believe that God owes me because of my work for the kingdom? Or do I believe it's strictly God's grace and this is how I got into the kingdom? Where are you at this morning? And if you find that you, yourself among the first, those who are outside... Well, you can be among the last those who gain entrance into the kingdom. You can be among the last by turning to Jesus, by, by putting your works aside, by believing and professing that Jesus is your Lord and is your Savior. You can find entrance into the kingdom not based on your work, but based on Jesus' work on your behalf. He is a gracious and merciful God who has made a way for you to enter into His kingdom. So turn to Jesus this morning. Believe in Jesus this morning. Believe that He has paid the penalty for your sin. Believe that it is His work on your behalf that gains you entrance into the kingdom and not your work. Turn to Jesus this morning. Experience Jesus' grace and His mercy this morning. That's how you can respond. In a moment, we're going we're gonna to sing. This is an opportunity for you to respond to the message that you have heard. Maybe you're a believer here this morning. You can respond by checking your own heart and asking these questions of yourself if you're not a believer. If you're not a believer here, or maybe you're watching online, but you realize for the first time it's not about my work, it's about Jesus' work. Now is an opportunity for you to publicly profess your faith in Christ. We're going to sing. I'll stand down here at the front for a bit. If you want to do that, now is an opportunity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank You for this day and this opportunity to gather, to, to open Your Word, to hear from it, to learn, God. Lord, I, my prayer today is that we would learn and that, that we would be satisfied with, with Your kingdom, knowing that it is a grace-based kingdom and not a merit-based kingdom. God, I, I pray, Lord, that, that those who have sought to be first, they will recognize that, that it's not about being first in the world's eyes, but it's about being last. It's about humbling themselves and recognizing that they are sinners who are, need a Savior. Lord, would you convict them this morning? Would you help them to see their need for Jesus? 
so that they might profess faith in Christ this morning. And those of us who have professed faith in Christ, Lord, would you, would you press us back onto the right track? Would you help us to be thankful for the gospel this morning? Thankful for your kingdom this morning, that it is an upside-down kingdom. Would you, would you drive inside of us worship for you this morning? And praise for you this morning for what you have done for us. For how you have saved us. For how your amazing grace has been poured out in our lives, Lord. Stir our emotions and our affections for you this morning, God. As we consider that. And as we pray in Jesus' name, Amen.